Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Na'amaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing, what is Islam by Shahab Ahmad. What page are we on? 86. 86. All right. Uh, you want to start reading? Sure. We're at Shahrani's cities, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Shahrani's sites. Oh, Shahrani cites as prominent examples of these textual materials by which Islamic knowledge and understanding is acquired, the divans of Hafiz, Zayadi, Baydil, and love epics such as Layla of Majnun, of Nizami, Yusuf Wazalaycha of Jami, uh, Farhad Shirin, as well as books of Proverbs, Zarb al-Misal, and narrative fiction, Afsana, Hikaya. Hikaya. Hikaya Kissa. Kissa, yeah. Uh, do you remember what we were talking about here? Anybody? Uh, okay, so if you're looking language? at the readings, then you probably don't. Okay, so no, we're basically <laughs> saying, how do people historically get their Islam? We were talking about social classes, that the elite social classes would often study, well, like the, the masses would often study things like law and fit and stuff like that, whereas the elite social classes would often study poetry and philosophy and such. And then the elites would often patronize, patron, you know, give patronage to these poets who would write these poems or stories, and then those stories would become the, 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 the stories for the masses. And the, perhaps the most fi- famous out of this whole list would be either Leila and Majnun, or the Divans of Hafez or Saadi. And so those would be the things that the masses would read, and that would be sort of how they'd get their Islam, in terms of the culture, in terms of the air. Hmm. Okay, continue. Who did uh, Farhad al-Shirin? Do you know? That uh, one I used to know all this, but I don't remember not anymore. Familiar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in a similar vein, Margaret A. Mills records from her extensive conversations in the 1970s with an Afghan mullah. Oh, your people. <laughs> yeah, finally. In a village about three hours' journey from Herat. Do you know what village that is? I mean, you know, is that like your miller? Herat? Or the village? The village three hours away. Okay. They haven't even said the name. <laughs> who was well-known in the rural locale, both as a teacher, Akhund, and storyteller. The Akhund's conception of religious books is broad, including didactic but non-theological works such as Anwari Suhaili, uh-huh. The Lights of Cannabis, a famous 15th century Persian derivative of the Indic origin story collection Kalila wa Dimna. Yeah, okay, so, so what does it mean if something's didactic? teaching yeah it's teaching so teaching but not talking about theology and Khalil Wadimna is one of those famous famous stories that seems to permeate across different cultures it's it's about like a world of animals almost like a Dr. Doolittle type thing and so this is in a small village in Afghanistan and the teacher you know the mullah is is teaching people these stories um, that are stories read all across you know that whole region Right. And again, uh, add to this the fact that in many, many of these regions, literacy itself is very low, meaning the ability to read or write, yet these stories permeate um, all these different cultures. And that's where a lot of people get their Islam. But Khalil Wadimna, that's Indic origin? Uh, the theory is that it's Indian origin, but uh, I don't even know how sound that theory is. Okay. Yeah. Okay, continue. The pre-Islamic Sanskrit animal fables of Bidpai put before the av- advent of Islam into Pahlavi Persian, the recast into Arabic in the newly built city of Baghdad by the 8th, 8th century Abbasid vizier, 
Ibn al-Muqaffa, and centuries thence imaginatively re-elaborated back into Persian by al-Husayn Vaiz Kashifi? Yeah, Kashifi. Kashifi. So, so what are we saying here? That So if we take this, this story of the animals as originally being in Sanskrit, and then at some point it's translated into Pahlavi. So Pahlavi is Farsi before it becomes Farsi, mm-hmm. before Muslims come along. And then eventually it gets rewritten into Arabic in Baghdad. And so the point is that this is how these stories travel mm. um, from, from one civilization to another, and they just survive. Ibn al-Muqaffa, if I remember correctly, was actually a Christian uh, minister in the Abbasid Empire. Um, and then, yeah, and then it was translated back into Persian. So, I mean, this is talking about a pre-Islamic um, fable. Yeah. How does that relate to the... Um, the works that the elites patronized. So it would be, this would also be an example of that, you know, someone translating it or rewriting it. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't, it would not be literal translation word for word. It would be that the, the story is just being retold. And so imagine you have this story of animals living together, talking to each other, but you retell it as a Hollywood film, mm-hmm. right? And so the first thing we would think about is, is CGI and, and the themes would be very American themes. Right. Okay, so they, they would they would retell it. They would, the elites would patronize it to retell the story from a, from a perspective that suited their agenda. Yeah, I mean, not so much their agenda. It's just usually well, very they're, often... They're, they're their perspective. I mean, it may not even go that far. Often, you know, uh, the, the elites would just take joy in sponsoring mm-hmm. artists. Like, produce your art. Mm-hmm. Right. And you even have a lot of that in our society today. Like, the, peop- the people who, who are sponsoring galleries and such... You know, a lot of times it'll happen before the artist actually makes anything, but they want to support the artist and support the arts as though it's helping refine civilization. So, okay, continue. So, Al-Hasan Vais Kashifi, who is the author of one of the most widely circulated Persian language commentaries on the Quran, serves as the narrative fictional means by which for a 20th century rural Afghan scholar to teach Islamic values and meanings to his congregation. And I can attest from my personal experience of collecting early Indian printed books that the Anvari Suhaili was a regularly published and thus presumably widely read book in 19th century India. And so really think about this in terms of how Islam permeated so many of our cultures. We would often think it's that, okay, you're teaching Hadith and you're teaching like the 40 Hadith and stuff like that. But for most of our history, that's not how it happened. It happened by way of these stories. That's how Islam grew. That's how Islam was sustained in so many of these cultures. And you may find hadith in the literature, but it's more just these themes that are in these stories. Like Layla and Majnoon, there's a story of this man who's in love with this woman, and he's so in love with her that he's just losing his mind. Thus they call him Majnoon, right? Mm-hmm. Yusuf and Zulaikha is a story of Prophet Yusuf, salam, and Zulaikha is the wife of the Aziz. And it's the inverse. She's falling so in love with him that she's losing her mind. And, and so, so many of our, our primary stories are all these love stories that later on get Bollywoodified, but the, all of these stories are also told teaching things about human nature and about life. Comparing that to like today, how do you feel like, I, mean, I feel like, I mean, I, my experience has been, there's been a focus on, you know, the Sunnah and the Quran. Yeah. Do you feel like that shift has been a recent shift or like a... I mean, I think it's a shift that keeps coming and going, but it also depends on uh, like whom we're speaking about. If we're speaking about the real masses among the masses, because keep in mind, you're all, you're all the 1% of the Muslim world, mm. right? Um, but uh, 
I think the, the, there has been a shift in the sense that these stories have been sort of pushed out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get replaced by, by hadith or specific little tiny stories. And I think as a result, the, the community suffers for it because those stories were providing uh, a very, very important uh, aspect of, of our culture. In the same way that a lot of our, our death rituals, bear, uh, marriage rituals, birth rituals also get pushed out by people for the sake of piety but then they don't get replaced with something. So a, a, a common case among Desis is Khatam al-Qur'an, you know, Qur'an Khani, when someone dies, you have a whole bunch of people who will read it, who will read the Qur'an. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, out of the sake of piety, have pushed that out, but what that really was, was not an act of ibadah, it was a, it was a ritual to help grieving, right? Yeah. Because it's not just we all read Qur'an, it's everybody comes to you, and it's silence together, and everyone's reading Qur'an together, but the big part of it is that everyone's coming and spending time with you. Okay, so like, you're saying that people would push that out, out of like the sake of, for the sake of piety. Yeah, what they, they think would, is piety. Yeah. Meaning they would like, you know, deride it as like the dawn to the Yes, that? exactly. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's continue. In a vivid illustration of the foregoing environment, the Tajik national poet Sadruddin Aini. Um, tells how, as a child in the 1880s in a small village some 40 miles from the great city of Bukhara, in the school run by the imam's wife, I read Hafiz, something of Baydil, and some of the lyrics of Saib, and recounts how the ghazals of that most metaphorically com- complex of poets, Mirza Abdul Qadir Baydil of Delhi, uh, were sung by the peasants of the local countryside as they labored in their fields, while the young Swiss traveler, Nicholas Bouver, Bouvier, Bouvier. Bouvier. is it French? The name is probably French, even Nicolas though he's Swiss. Bouvier. Yeah. <laughs> Bouvier. Pause. <laughs> Nicholas Bouvier. Oh, yeah, in English. Um, recorded in 1953 that the beggars of Tabriz. The beggars of Tabriz. <laughs> Tabriz knew hundreds of stanzas by Hafiz or Nizami, which spoke of love, of mystical wine, of May sunshine through the windows okay so again uh this stuff then later it starts becoming well, right around that era starts becoming the the subject matter of awali music right mm-hmm. and and again what are we talking about we're talking about how do people experience and how do people really learn their their islam so some of the stuff is going to be the 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 narrations you're going to learn in school and such or in a khutbah or what have you but for most people it's by way of these stories this is for much of not just human history but muslim history that Islam is being taught by way of, of stories. And and that's, you know, as we were discussing, some of that stuff has been pushed to the side. Okay. The eminent scholar of Ottoman literature, Walter Andrews, is right to argue, that's right, right? That's English, English name? Uh, I Walter believe Andrews. it is in English, okay. yeah. Um, is, right to, is right to argue uh, in a work instructively entitled Poetry's Voice, Society's Song, that we should look at the geisel, <laughs> ghazal, <laughs> as a part of a continuing spectrum of poetry, including both divan, 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 literally court, and folk poetry emerging from the needs and motivations of a single cultural entity. Okay, let's, uh, let's stop right here. Uh, but I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of really good material in this, in this uh, half paragraph that we just read. Um, just about how people uh, exhibit and experience uh, their Islam. It's all about these poetry and this poetry and this artwork, which, you know, for the sake of piety, a lot of people just literally just almost exorcise 
out of the community at the cost of the community. So you said this was like, did you say that this was like a repeating shift that it happened before and it might happen? So I think it's something that in pockets comes up again and again mm -hmm. uh, by people who tend to be uh, in their minds piety minded, mm -hmm. um, not realizing that these are also acts of piety. Mm -hmm. right. so. That's what I struggle with coming here is like my parents, I mean, literature is such a big deal in Afghanistan. That's how they've yeah. been brought up. So they know a lot of these. Yeah. They cite it. Um, they share it. They have these poems memorized. Yeah. Um, but then after, especially coming to Chicago, you know, all of these are considered wrong poems, yeah. poetry, um, singing, mm -hmm. and that just like erases so much of their lives, but then also yeah. our lives. Yes, and so exactly. it doesn't make any sense. And so, so it reduces Islam to something very, very technical yeah. and mechanical. And, um, um, and that's, yeah, a lot of the happy stuff gets, it gets pulled out. But I feel like it's not just happy stuff. It's like. They're very meaningful. Yeah, um, I mean, stuff that really has heavy meaning in terms of how you live your life. Right. Yeah. Totally. Go ahead. <laughs> I was thinking, because my, my dad is like a encyclopedia for like Bengali poetry. Oh, nice. And that kind of stuff. Yeah. So like, he always quotes poetry to me that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. But I, I always find it weird. So I feel like it's weird because his his schooling, they had to, you know, they encountered a lot more literature mm -hmm. that they internalized yeah. than I do. As in, like, he'll always quote, like, random books he read in, like, sixth grade or yeah. something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Versus me, I don't remember what I read in yeah. the senior year of high school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I do, but, like, I don't, I can't quote them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel like how we perceive literature is different, too. I mean, especially in, at least in my circle, mm -hmm. it's, it's not seen as something that's, you know, that, that it, like... There's a, there's a term in Bridgu that's a, it basically means like empty talk, and we use that for AP English. Um, so so it's 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 a, the Palestinian Falahi dialect. It's Hachi oh. It's it's empty talk basically, and that's I feel like that's like the attitude towards oh, absolutely towards literature in general. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and all those people who who criticize literature, they all still all listen to hip hop, right? Not realizing that. Hip hop is serving a very similar purpose. Alrighty, any other last thoughts or questions? Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubi ilayk wa akhir da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil